We're looking at God's design for the family, but today specifically we're focusing on the men. I'm going to ask one of the men from here today, Ugo, if you might, would mind helping us with the AC. It's a little toasty in here. Uh, thank you very much. John 15, and we're looking at verse 5. That is going to be our base, and we're going to be launching off from there to look at different things that correspond to the men of the church, to Christian men, to men that God wants to uh, mold and to shape and to grow. So let's just read this together. John 15, 5. As soon as you find it, I'm going to ask you to stand up on your feet so we can read it all together. John 15, 5. Let's read it with one voice, uh, one tone. It's up here on the screen. This is what it says. I am the vine, you are the branches. There, the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Now as we go into it, we study it. We pray, God, that we can be built up by it. I pray for the men who are already doing a fantastic job. I see change in them and I see them producing fruit. My prayer, Father, is that they can produce even more fruit. That they wouldn't just see today, but they would look down the quarter of time and see generations after them. Uh, Father, help us to break away from the worldly perception of what manhood is supposed to be like. And help us to see things your way. What you have prepared for us is even better. I thank you for your word. We ask you all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Go ahead and take your seats. So before we get into what God's design is for the men, we need to do some deconstruction. We need to see what the, what the culture, what this world system has told you, gentlemen, about what it means to be a man. I speak to you today not as a, a judge, not as a spiritual father. I don't think I'm old enough or I don't think I'm in that place of your life yet. So I come to you and I appeal to you as a brother. See me as a brother. If you're older than me, I'm a younger brother. If I'm older than you, I'm an older brother. But let me deconstruct a couple things. Number one, the culture says that men are defined by the three B's, which are this, and it's in your notes. The ball field, the bedroom, or the billfold, which is another word for wallet. So men are defined by the three B's. I didn't come up with this. This is another uh, preacher I borrowed it from. His name is Vodi Bakum. You can check him out. But he says we're defined by the ball field, how you perform in sports, by the bedroom, how you perform in that place, and the billfold or the wallet, by what you have with you at all times. So what we have is the culture says that the most uh, interesting men in the world are sports players, and that we should allow our sons to become athletes, because that's what builds character, right? And I would ask that, is that true? Isn't it true that some of the people with the lowest moral character are athletes. We see them all the time, second, third, fourth wife, drug abuse problems, money, idolatry problems. There's literally a boxer, and I love boxing. That's, if you want to invite me to watch some sports, I'm not a big fan of football that much. I'm more of a fan of boxing. I just like to see two guys get in the ring, no more words, just knock each other out. Let's see who wins. But one of the guys who boxes that I, I don't like the way he fights is Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather. The guy's undefeated, but there's a reason, he runs. And he has a lot of money. So people think, wow, that's a man right there. And I would say, I don't know. Number two, the bedroom. Men who can put another notch on their post. Who can put another mark, another tally on the list of women that they've been with. Uh, my brother Carlos and Roxy, they're doing uh, what's called premarital classes. And that's, you know, examining, are you ready to get married? If you are, let's pursue that godly, in a godly way. And I've seen some premarital classes where they make the men and the women write a list of every person they've ever been sexually intimate with. 
And that really shows who you're marrying. You want to know who you're getting into covenant with. So people will say, look at that guy. I'll give you an example. Uh, from, the sixth, from the 60s and 70s on to when he died, which was recently, who was the man that all the worldly men wanted to be? Hugh Hefner, the father of Playboy. Wow, that guy is amazing. He is a, a, look at all the girls he has. The man was late 60s, 70s, I think 80s, dating 18-year-olds. That's disgusting. But that's what the culture said. That's a man right there, defined by the bedroom. Number three, by the billfold or the wallet. If you can make six figures, you're a man, is what the culture says. If you can find a way to work, but you don't have to put in a lot of hard work, you can screw people over, take advantage of them, and then at the end of the day still make a profit, that's a man right there. That's what the culture says. Also, number two on this, men are defined in the culture by what they consume, not what they produce. So a lot of guys want to be part of a team, right? I want to be uh, a member of the New York Jets. I don't know why you would want to be part of that team, but they put on the jersey, they put on the Mayweather cap, mo the money team, the cuesta más esa cosa, bro, don't, don't waste money on that. Uh, I want to be you know, a shoe collector, so they buy three, $400 shoes. Am I saying those things are bad? No, if you have the money, go for it. But that's not what defines you. What defines you is what you put out, not what you put into your body. So a lot of guys don't have dads, don't have good role models. If they had a dad, they don't have a good dad. So they don't know what manhood is. So what do they do? They buy what the culture tells them. And the culture tells you this. You're a man if you drink this kind of beer, right? You're a man if you wear these kinds of clothes. You're a man if you play these kinds of video games. <laughs> really? You're a man if you sleep with this kind of girl. So that's what they do. They consume women, Alcohol, clothing, television. Only real men watch these movies. Really? Number three on this. Men are defined by media and television. This is going to be a little bit controversial. So I'm glad that nobody's watching on the internet, right? The culture has intentionally feminized men. They have feminized you. They have changed what the definition of manhood is to make you more female more effeminate. So now the guys that are looked up to, and, um, and again, it's a little controversial, but let's just go through it. Uh, back in the 50s, 60s, it was the guy with two jobs. That's the one you wanted to go to. And now who do the girls run to? The loser with no job, who looks like he just got out of bed. That's attractive. They feminized men. Uh, a lot of these artists, um, I won't name names, I guess. It, was, it wouldn't be prudent, but... Um, there's a singer, very handsome looking guy, tatted up. There's nothing wrong with tattoos. Go for it. Honor Jesus with him. But now he's wearing a dress because he's so secure with his masculinity that he can wear a dress. And a few years ago, that would be looked upon as, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? No, no, it's because he's masculine. The guy in a dress can't tell me that he's more masculine than me. Because a culture has feminized men on television. Who is usually the one saving the day in the family show? It's not the dad. The dad's an idiot. Sometimes it could be the mom. It's usually the pet. So that's why we have the life of pets. That's why we have the dog or the hamster saving the day. That's why we have the little kid, baby boss or whatever, boss baby, saving the day. And the parents are oblivious because the culture has intentionally emasculated you. They have taken away your manhood and Jesus wants to give it back to you. 
And you say, I don't agree with this. You can be wrong, that's fine. But you can't argue that the culture is doing this to you. Now, a man is not the guy who can punch hardest, have the nicest perfume, yell the loudest, have the most girls. That's not what a man is. A man is what we're going to look at today. So let's get into the text. Genesis 1, 27 through 29 is there in your notes so you don't get lost and it's up here on the screen. This is God's design for men. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So that's God defining gender roles. Something that we talked about with the premarital class yesterday was as men and women, we share emotions, but we just express them in different ways. That's just the way we're built. But God created us male and female. 28. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And that's exactly what we want to do as a church. Be fruitful, fill the earth with the gospel and multiply as Christians and subdue it. Eventually Jesus will do that. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. 29. God also said, look, I have given you every seed bearing plant on the surface of the earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed, this will be food for you. So God makes man, he gives him an instruction for life, he gives him an identity, and he provides for him to do the job he's supposed to do. Not only are you going to go work the field, I'm going to provide food so that you won't get tired, so you'll have enough energy to do it. Let's look at a couple things here. Your priorities as a man should be this, and in this order. Christian, husband, father, worker, or minister. Okay, You need to have these priorities. Does that mean sometimes they won't overlap? No, you got to make decisions. But as a man, God wants you to be a Christian first before you can think about being a husband, before you can think about being a godly father. You need to make sure you're a Christian. Husband, which means you don't get married because of the kids. It means you get married because of your wife. It means you pursue a woman to love her for the rest of your life. A father after that, that means you give the kids their place, but they're not domineering over you. A worker, which means after you've given everything else its place, you've got to make sure you've you got to feed them somehow, so you go and get a job. And we'll talk about this in a second, but a lot of guys are afraid to work. They're afraid to get their hands dirty. They're afraid to, pun they're afraid to punch in at 6 in the morning, clock out at 6 p.m. if they have to, because it might get them tired and not give them enough time for their hobbies. Worker or minister. And here's a mistake a lot of Christian guys make. They say, I'll go into ministry because that'll pay me. They don't have to work a secular job. That is a lie. That is a lie. God says this, if a man does not work, what does it say? He does not eat. Paul, who deserved to get paid because he was a church planter, he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. Even he said, I have my rights to expect a payment out of you. But I don't. I'd rather work with my hands to show you that men must work, even in ministry. I have a secular job. I'm studying in university personally so that I can get a job and support myself and not be a burden on the church if I can. For you men who want to go into ministry, praise God. But don't let that be a crutch for not having a job. We'll talk about that in a second. Number two, we're image bearers. That means we are to reflect the attributes of God to the world. We're like mirrors. And a lot of what we do is we get this mirror real dirty so people don't see God in us anymore. And we're image bearers to reflect God. We have this in the notes. God above you, creation below you, and a friend alongside of you, a wife. 
A lot of us invert these. We put creation above us, meaning we subject ourselves to material things. If you're in your early 20s, there is no reason you should be having a car that costs more than $25,000. You're not ready. Invest that in a house. Invest that in your education. Are carros del año, are those a bad thing? No. If you can afford it, live within your means. But a lot of guys get into debt and then they lose the car. That's having creation above you. Have creation below you. That means you master it. A friend alongside of you. A wife. My wife is my anchor. I call her my rib. Because she's, this is where she came from. This is where I like to put her back. That's my wife. And I trust her so much. She helps me put my ideas in place. I tell you, I have a lot of crazy prayer requests and she grounds me a little bit. Okay, let's be realistic. How are we going to do this? But you know what? Let's do it anyways. Let's go for it. A calling and provision. He instructed Adam, get to work, rule the earth, subdue it, and I'll provide for you. A lot of us men, we think that, oh, it's because of the curse. That's why we work. No, work was there before the curse. The only thing that came after the curse was, you're going to have to get tired when you work. And how many of you, you can say amen to that. I know what it's like to work and get tired. My body's starting to show it. I'll tell you this, I had to join a gym. I felt it. I felt a pain in the back of my neck. I'm taking seven classes. I'm working full time. I have the church full time. I have my wife and I had West Brownsville. Thank God they released me from that in a good way. I was starting to feel pain in my head and I was getting very worried. I said, I'm going to go to the gym because I probably have high cholesterol. And I did. I started going to the gym. Give me six months and I'll be that pastor with the tight shirts and everything. Right? <laughs> Kidding. But God provides. Work hard. Let's go to the next one there. Men as fruitful Christians. Let's see a couple things. Remember we said Christian, husband, father, worker, or minister. So let's talk about being a Christian. 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 14. It's in your notes. But you, man of God, and I'm talking to all of you Christian men today. It says, flee from these things. What is he talking about? From the love of money. Run away from it. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all and of Christ Jesus his Son, who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I command you, he says, to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of the Lord Jesus. Paul commands you, gentlemen, to hold on to that faith that you have. He says, be like your Lord Jesus, who was standing in front of the judge, Pontius Pilate, and he didn't bend the knee. He didn't deny who he was. He could have taken the easy way out. You know what? I don't want to get crucified. He could have said, no, I recant. I take it back. I'm not the son of God. He didn't do that. Gentlemen, a lot of what life will be is learning to keep your mouth closed. Learning to stand on your principles. You don't shake. You don't move. You define who I'm going to be in Christ. And by God's grace, he'll help you do that until your last breath. We sang a song today that said, from... Life's first cry to final breath in the power of Christ I stand. May we always be men like that. Men as faithful Christians. You gentlemen, not your wife, not your kids, not your friends. You gentlemen, you need to, har you need to uh, harvest and you need to cultivate spiritual discipline. 
You know who are the men that succeed in life? Disciplined men. The athlete, he doesn't want to go to the gym, but he goes. Because he needs to get fit. The soldier doesn't like waking up at four in the morning, but he does. Because he needs to be alert in case there's an attack. For some reason, the culture has told us that it's okay to wake up late. It's okay to sleep very late. It's okay to spend all of our time playing video games. It's okay to be distracted with television. We feel like it's okay because that's all we're used to. God's men are different. You need to be the one waking up at 6 in the morning, knees on the ground, praying to Jesus Christ. Give me guidance today. I have a lot of men that text me late at night. Pastor, I need some advice about this, this, and this. And I ask them, how's your relationship with Jesus? It's fine, okay? How's your reading? I haven't read. How's your prayer? I don't know what to say. How's your fellowship? I haven't seen you at church. Well, it's because I've been busy. And then you wonder why you can't find God's will. You won't find it there, gentlemen. You won't find it at the bottom of the bottle. You won't find it at the end of that last blunt. You won't find it watching those movies that you're not supposed to watch. You'll find it on your knees praying to Jesus Christ that He'll guide you and lead you. The spiritual disciplines. Some of you gentlemen, your wife would respect you so much more if you would initiate this. If you would say, honey, we're going to read today. I don't know what. Pastor Manny gave us the code for uh, the Right Now Media. Let's watch a video at least together about the Bible. That would solve so many of our marital issues. And for you guys who are single, if you can start this practice now and then invite a woman into that, you'll have her joyful and happy to be with you. A lot of guys don't know where they're going. So if you have some sort of direction, you're already ahead of the pack, gentlemen. We can't run with the pack. We've got to run ahead of them. Number two, declare and defend a theology. Some of you don't know what theology means. It means the study of God. Defend it. Are we going to be a family that speaks in tongues? Or do we read biblically that that's not in there? The way the world says it is. Are we going to be a family that we fall to the floor on fire for the Lord? Or are we going to read the Bible and see that maybe that's not in there? Are we going to be a family that believes this thing of name it and claim it, I declare it, I receive it, and it's not in the Bible? Or are we going to read our Bible together and grow as a family? You gentlemen have to declare a theology, defend that theology. Number three, you need to commit to serve a church. You need to put some weight on your shoulders and be a pillar of this church. This or any other church, you, de- you decide. You need to say, you know what, some things are not getting done. I see the brothers are struggling. I see there's kids now. Why does uh, Hermana Carla have to go teach? Let me learn how to teach and I'll teach those kids. Single guys, let me tell you this. If a woman sees you serving and teaching the little kids, that harnesses some energy in her where she's like, hmm, I'd like to see that. Let's see where this goes. And if there's a single lady and a single gentleman serving with the kids, you already won half the battle, man. She's already picturing you there. Put some weight on your shoulders. Be a pillar of this church. Number three, number four. Treat every woman with purity as mothers and sisters. The way you think about a lot of women, you would never think about your mother in that way. That would be disgusting. And if you did, repent. The way you treat some of these young women, you would never like anyone to treat your sister that way. And yet you're still doing it. Repent of that today. The Bible says, treat older women as mothers. Treat younger women as sisters. You fight for your sister. You protect your sister. You don't lust after your sister. You don't take advantage of your sister. 
And you say, well, Manny, come on, this is, sign this is sounding like uh, white knight, chivalry, simp, I don't like this. How's it working for those guys that are doing that? It's not. Number five, learn to disciple younger men. If you've been in the faith for a few years, it doesn't matter how old you are. Take another younger guy under your wing. If you're in your 40s, 30s, 20s, you love Jesus, you know a couple verses, it's time to take a younger guy under your wing and say, I'm going to disciple you. One of the guys I look up to a lot is Carlos. He's a young guy, and he has several guys under his watch that he's discipling actively. Whether those guys follow, do what Jesus says, that's up to them. But he's active in doing it. Who are you discipling? Start with your home, start with your family. Uh, last week something interesting happened. I was preaching about the good father, and it just so happened that my wife was teaching about the good father to the little girls. So uh, last week, Troy and Janet are like, wow, look, we're, we have the same things. We're studying the same things. That's the way it should be. So then when you get home, you can talk about it. What are we learning about Jesus today? Today they're learning a song, by the way. So make sure they sing it to you on the way home. <laughs> Let's look at, at men as faithful family shepherds. John 10, 11 through 15. It says this. I am the good shepherd, says Jesus. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, the one that they had to go and find, pay him, because he wouldn't do it otherwise. Since he's not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, he leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them, and this happens because the hired hand doesn't care about the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as a father knows me, and I know the father, here's the key point, gentlemen, I lay down my life for the sheep. You need to see your family in these terms. Sheep, and out there are wolves. The wolves also love the sheep, but they love them in a different way. Because they get to tear them to pieces and prey on them. Not pray for them, pray on them. Devour them. Your job, gentlemen, is to be shepherds. Why do we talk about shepherds? Well, in the old, we have this bad image of what a shepherd is. We think it's a skinny guy with a stick, petting lambs and sheep all day. We think that's what a shepherd is. These were the toughest men of their generation. This guy would literally fight off wolves with a stick. This guy would fight bears and lions with a stick. These were real men. They would take on the challenges alone. King David, before he was King David, and he wanted to fight Goliath, this is what he told the army. He said, I've been fighting lions all my life. I can fight this Philistine. You need to be the shepherd of your family. Meaning, a couple things here. You need to be the provider, the protector, the friend, the shepherd. You provide. That means you get a job. Well, it doesn't pay very much. Okay, then get two jobs. Well, it says I don't have time now for my games. Sell the game. Get another job. It doesn't mean you're the only provider. Maybe your wife wants to work. You're building towards something. Praise God for that. But eventually, gentlemen, you want your wife to not work so that she can pursue what she wants to do. Too many guys put that burden on the wife. And now the wife has to get a second job, a third job, work out of the house because we have so much debt that I brought into the marriage. I know of a couple who, they didn't know this and they didn't have a nice premarital class like we do at Logos. When they got married... They found out that she had several credit cards because she was a shopaholic. 
he had bought a house without telling her, they were so indebted. They lost the house, they had to declare bankruptcy. Imagine starting a marriage bankrupt. You need to be a provider, which means you need to make good financial decisions. Good investments. As I said, a new car is not a good investment. As soon as you drive it off the lot, it loses $15,000 in value. Just by driving it off the lot. If you were to return it, now you're, da you're down negative $15,000. I tell you because I used to sell cars. That's what, exactly what that car business is all about. It's not a good business. Well, for the people that are buying. A protector. That means you don't let anyone get close enough to even hurt or think about hurting your family. Since we're having kids now, and pray, by God's grace, we'll have more kids, we want to screen every person. Do a background check, criminal, credit even. I want to know if they're good decision makers. And only the qualified people can work with the kids. That's what we want to do. My wife, I've screened her. We're, we're good. <laughs> Number two, a one-woman man. A faithful shepherd is a one-woman man. We take this from 1 Timothy. This is a qualification of a pastor, but it's a good example to all men to have only one woman in your life. Well, since I don't touch any other woman, all you're doing is watching and scrolling. Jesus said, if you lust after them, just by looking, you've already sinned in your heart. If you're the guy who has three, four girls on the side in case this one doesn't work, you're not a man. You're a boy who likes to play with toys. And that's what you're treating them like, like toys. If you're a man who... When a woman passes by, you almost break your neck to look. You're not a man. You're a boy. You're playing in the deep end of the pool and you should get out before you drown. If you're a man who is very emotionally attached to another female who's not your wife, you're not a man. You're a boy. You're playing with her feelings. A one-woman man. That means she knows, I don't need to be checking on you. I don't need to be looking into your phone to see who you're following or double tapping or liking or whatever. I trust you. A one woman man. She knows everything I have, I've given it to him and I can trust him with it. Some of you ladies, you're just willing to give yourself over to people who are not one woman man. All you're doing is hurting yourself. Number three, men as a husband and father, he pursues his children. He asks the right questions. He gets to be the fun dad. Not only a fun dad, but he's a fun dad. He's the fun dad. Meaning, you pursue your kids. Too many kids who grow up angry at the church is because their dad didn't love them and give them a good example of what it was to be a Christian father to their children. I know too many friends who are called PK, which means pastor's kids who their dad was never around because he was always locked up in his office reading books. He failed his children. He's constantly pursuing, drawing out his children. The Bible says, and we'll read in a few weeks, don't cause your kids to be angry. Don't do it. You're hurting yourself. So you ask the right questions. Not how you're doing, how's your day? What are they going to say? Fine. Ask the right questions. What can I pray for you? What are you going through? Did you have any conversations with any weird people, any strangers, anybody asking you weird stuff? We live in an age where we give kids their first tablet at around age two or three to keep them distracted. And we think we're doing our best by putting parental controls. My friends, 
It's a dirty, dirty world we live in. No matter how many controls you put on that thing, things pop up. We live in an age where a kid sees his first pornographic image at age eight. Confused, not even knowing what he's looking at. So you as a father need to draw out your children. You need to let them know you can talk to me. And how do you do that? You don't just say it, hey, come talk to me. You show it. When they finally open up to you, you don't condemn them. That's one of the next things here. I'll skip uh, one of the notes there, but you need to be a coach and not a critic. A coach encourages, teaches, works with. A critic just stands back and points a finger. As a father, you need to be a coach, not a critic. We have too many critics. An example. The coach who is coaching the little league team, swing the bat, hit the ball, hit the ball. Hit. That's, not a, that's not a coach, that's a critic. I'm trying to hit the ball, but what can I do? As opposed to a coach. Okay, watch how he pitches. He's going to put it over the plate. Okay, now you can swing. It's a little wide, don't swing. Let him hit you, take the base. That's a coach. We need to learn to not be critics, but coaches. As fathers, you have such a blessing. And I look forward to this time in my life. But as fathers, you get to have guy time with the boys, daddy dates with the girls. You get to take your daughter on a date. You get to show her what it's like for a man to treat her right on a date and not expect anything sinful at the end. Too many girls didn't have that experience with their father. So the first guy that showed them affection, they were just willing to give everything to them. Ladies, is that your story? Is that what happened to you? A good father has daddy dates with his girls. You know what, mom, I'm going to ask you to stay home today. Maybe I'll pay you to go to the spa. It went well. I got a bonus. That stimulus hit. Cuidate, mija. I said, go to the spa. I'm going to take the girls out for ice cream and a movie. We're going to watch Bratz. And I don't care if I don't like Bratz. They like Bratz. We're going to watch Bratz. Because you show your daughter what a real man is. You get to take the boys on guy time. Again, honey, stay home if you want. Don't do nothing. Just... Just stay home. I'm going to take the guys out today. We're going to go swing some t-ball. We're going to go hit the ball. We're going to go to the park, kick the foot, uh, throw the football around. You see, I don't watch a lot of football. Uh, kick the soccer ball around. Spend some time together. Get roughed up. Get bruised. Learn what it's like to bump into things. But we're going to do it. You need to pursue your children. You need to learn to differentiate between sin and mistakes. When a child spills the water. Was that a sin or was that a mistake? Mistake. And you've seen guys who don't know the difference, they start yelling at their kid. You're so dumb. You're stupid. Why did I have you? What are you doing? That's not a sin. Calm down. It was a mistake. He spilled water. That's what kids do. Kids poop, throw up, spill water. That's, what, that's the job description for kids. Amen? Fathers? Mothers? Model God's love. And to close, we went a little long today, but praise God for that. Things to avoid. It's not 3 o'clock, actually. That clock is wrong. It's 4. Things to avoid. Gentlemen, laziness and pride. Look at what the Bible says, Proverbs 26, 13 through 26. The slacker says, There's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the public square. In other words, he's saying, I can't get a job. There's terrorists, and they might kill me out there somewhere. There's narcos. We live in the valley. They're out there somewhere. They're in a kidnap. I'll just stay home and be safe. That's what the Bible calls a slacker. 14. A door turns on its hinges. 
And in the same way, a slacker turns in his bed. The slacker buries his hand in the bowl. He's too weary or lazy or tired to even bring it to his own mouth. In his own eyes, in his own mind, a slacker is wiser than seven who can answer sensibly. What does he say? A lazy guy tosses and turns in his bed. His mom has to wake him up to go to work. His wife, when he gets married, somehow, got to go to work. That's a slacker. The slacker, he says he's hungry, and instead of making food, he orders Grubhub. Because <laughs> I don't need to learn to cook. That's a woman's job. Try to tell your wife that. It won't go very well for you. If you ever see me losing a lot of weight, you'll know what I did. I messed up. Shouldn't have said that. He's too busy to bring the food to his mouth. 16. In his own eyes, a slacker, a lazy man. Según él, he's smarter than all the guys. This is where I see a lot of little boys in men's bodies with men's income and men's cars. They think they're smarter than everybody else. They think no one can correct them. They think they have the truth. It's because you don't know what I'm going through. You haven't experienced what I have. Little boys. He thinks he's wiser than everybody else who's giving him good advice. And he's too foolish or brainless or too stupid to listen to guys who truly do care for him. I'll tell you this, gentlemen. Maybe right now I seem upset. And I'm talking to you as a brother because I love you. Sometimes brothers got to rough up a little bit. Listen to good advice. You think you're too good. You think you're too smart. You think you have the absolute truth and everybody else is wrong. That's foolish. The only perfect man was Jesus Christ and we crucified him. You're not even close. You don't even measure up. Neither do I. Learn to take good advice. Even in this church, there's men who have good advice. They're a little down the road further than we are. They could give you some good advice. Ask. The, op the opposite is for the Christian guys. Well, it's because I'm, I'm Timothy. Where's my Paul? Nobody pursues me. I've been at this church. Nobody wants to have a Bible study with me. Little boy. Find a man. Ask him for guidance and he'll give it to you. So avoid laziness and pride. And lastly, avoid the love of money and shortcuts. Look at what it says. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. You have a good job, why are you applying for that other job? You have a nice house, why are you getting into debt for that other house? It says, those who want to be rich, does that mean you can't have better things? No. But if your desire is just to have the next best thing, the most of something, it's a temptation. It's a trap. It's cheese on the mousetrap, you don't see the mousetrap. And it says it will lead not just you, you're going you're gonna to bring down everybody with you into destruction and ruin. I need you gentlemen to stop thinking of me. Start thinking legacy. Start thinking my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. What am I doing for them? We looked at the good father last week. He had an inheritance. That means he planned, he worked hard for his kids to have something. What are you leaving your kids? You say, well, I'm not even married yet. You're at a perfect spot. You get to start investing right now. 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The person who says, I need more money, so I'm going to get a job. 
They only pay. They only work on Sundays. I don't care. I need a job. I'm going to go work on Sunday. Or Wednesday or Friday, whatever. When it's your time to be in fellowship. You can't love money, gentlemen. You need to love God. The Bible says that God is the one who owns all the gold and the silver, all the money. You want money? Ask Him. He'll provide. It won't be the way you want Him to provide, but He'll provide. I'm a living example of that. I came to this country as an illegal immigrant. I was brought over as an illegal immigrant. My parents divorced. They left. I was stuck with my sisters. My, not stuck. That sounds so mean, right? And I apologize. I, I asked for forgiveness for that. I was wrong. But I was left with my sisters. We moved in together. We got an apartment. I think it was about 500 bucks a month. I was an illegal immigrant making $100 a week. Because that's the only job I could find. Cleaning. Writing things down. Uh, how can I serve you? Under the table, here's some cash. When that didn't work out, too many months and years passed, I had to go look for another job. I dressed up nice. I tucked in my shirt for once. I went out. I made a resume. It didn't look very impressive. But I said, I'm, I was 19. I'm going to get a job. I need to provide for my sisters. So I went. I went looking. I found, by God's grace, I was down to my last 20 bucks in a little beat-up neon that I had. They don't even make those cars anymore. Last 20 bucks in my pocket to put gas in my car. And I went driving all around the city, dropping off my resume. I didn't put on their illegal immigrant. I was like, if I can just get my foot in the door, I can convince them to hire me. And when I was giving up, I was ready to just go home, call it quits. I get a call from an attorney's office. One of the biggest attorneys, not even in the Valley, but in Texas. Like, hey, come work for us. This girl got pregnant. We need someone to fill her spot at least for three months. Come work for us. Boom, perfect. Boy, I got there. By the way, I'm an illegal immigrant, but I can work for you. Fine, we'll figure out a way to pay you. We'll take care of you. Are you willing to work, gentlemen? When that didn't work, when that ended, eventually, I had to go work in construction. I went out there. I would go to church, and Carlita's a witness of this bright red, tomato red, because I got sunburned, because that's what construction is. Literally, there's dirt, and you start building the house. So I know what it's like to crush your fingers with a hammer. I know what it's like to step on a nail by accident, have to take your foot out and hit it with a piece of wood so that the blood will not coagulate, shoot out of there. Some of you medical students, you know what I'm talking about? Are you willing to work? Because I had two mouths at home that I needed to help feed. And I couldn't sit on my hands and pray, God, let it rain money. You need to work hard, gentlemen. Are you willing to work? Avoid shortcuts. Proverbs 14.4. I know I said we'll finish soon, but I really mean it this time. Proverbs 14.4. When there are no oxen, the feeding trough is empty. But an abundant harvest comes through the strength of an ox. In those times, it was an agrarian society. You had to cultivate the land to make money, to sell your crops. And what this is saying is, you needed to buy an ox, a big animal. Put a piece of wood on his neck, put some metal on the other side, and start pulling so you can prepare the dirt for the seeds. And he's saying, if you have a barn and you put the ox inside, he works hard, he works hard, he works hard, you're going to have a lot of poop from the animal. You're going to have to feed that animal. And what a lot of guys do is, man, this life is full of feces and dirt. I don't want to deal with it. Let me just kill the ox and get rid of it. Okay, go for it. You kill it, and now there's no harvest. You shot your way of providing 
In other words, gentlemen, if you want to provide, you got to get your hands dirty. You have to put in the hours. You have to work hard. And if you want an easy life, you'll ruin your women. You'll ruin your sons and your daughters. Don't take shortcuts. There's no secret to success of becoming a billionaire. Well, Steve Jobs did it. You're not Steve Jobs. I don't think you're that bright. You're not Elon Musk. You're not a rocket scientist. Well, I could be. Go for it. But you can't take shortcuts. You have to work hard. Well, if I can just write a book, make money off my books, if I can just read enough books, if I can just, uh, I don't know, do something with books, start a business where I don't have to work and they just pay me, that doesn't exist. You know what kind of job that is? That's a drug cartel job. Well, you don't do anything. You just get money, but it's dirty money. You take from other people's work. So gentlemen, I appeal to you as a brother. Let's be faithful Christian men, first of all. Let's get right with Jesus. Let's be faithful family shepherds starting today. And if you're a single guy, start shepherding yourself. Go to sleep early. Wake up early. Delete those websites off your phone. Listen to good advice. Listen to your parents. They want the best for you. And you'll be a fruitful man by God's grace. Jesus was a fruitful man. You might have a lot of sin, gentlemen. Right now you might be angry. You might be just done. Shut up. I want to leave already. Take that energy that you have right now, anger, and use it to repent. Use that energy to drive you to your knees before Jesus and say, I need you, God. I'm a sinner. I can't do it alone. Jesus promises you not only eternal life, He promises you abundant life, meaning it starts here, meaning you're not alone anymore. Meaning God the Father will take you by the hand and guide you. And now if you had a bad father, he'll be a good father to you. Today's the day you repent. You come to Jesus. You ask him to forgive you of your sin. You say, make me a Christian. Teach me how to live like you. And he will. Because the God we love is not a dead God. He's a living God. And to close, we'll read this. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. You can do nothing without me. As we pray, first of all, I'm going to ask all the men in the room to please stand up. I would like to pray a pastoral blessing over you today. Ladies, I would like for you, right there where you are, think of the men in this room. See leaders, see future fathers and shepherds, and pray for them as well. I want all the men to stand up. I want us all to bow our heads, and let's pray for the men. Father God, I thank you for these people. I thank you, God, because you've chosen them to carry your name of Christian, to carry your word as ministers, and to serve your people as shepherds. I pray for these men, Father. They're already doing a great job. I want some of them to do even more. Father, we reject the cultural ideas of manhood. We know that all they want is the destruction of the family. We won't let that happen. Father, I pray that if there's any man today who needs to repent and come to real faith, not a borrowed faith from their family, not an assumed faith because they go to church, they think they're Christians, but a true faith, a faith that comes out of brokenness over their own sin and that comes by looking at the cross and seeing that it's empty because you are alive, Jesus. I pray for these men that they would be good workers, good fathers, good ministers, good pillars that hold up this church that they would be the start of a new legacy, not what their father gave them, but something you will do in them starting today, Father. I thank you for these men. I love these men. I want to see these men give more of themselves to you and to their wives and to their children. 
And I thank you for them, Father. They bear your image. There's hope for them. So we pray for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.